Jaspreet Bopperai and Don Nicholson with Greenwashed on RCR, Reality Check Radio. Welcome back to Greenwash. This is Jaspreet with my co-host Don Nicholson. And our attempt over the last few months for Don and me has been to expose how farmers across the world, regardless of where we are, seem to be facing a very similar state of red tape, a very similar push, pressure, turmoil. And today, to further get into the nitty-gritties of how farming is being hammered, for lack of a better term, we have with us Jackie Flannery from Ireland. We'll make the introductions in a moment, but a bit of background here. Jackie is the spokesperson and admin for the Irish Rural Association. That's a lobby group, completely voluntary and completely independent, that was founded in February 2021. So here from County Galloway, welcome, Jackie. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you very, very much and delighted to be here uh, speaking to you on, on uh, your radio station. Um, it's it's very, very interesting to say how technology has improved over the years that we can actually be speaking from County Galway today to yourselves in New Zealand. Uh, so looking forward to a good chat. Well, isn't that, isn't that a plus? Uh, the technology is a major uh, reason why I think the farmers of the world are going to be more connected and understand each other's problems that this is part of the conduit for because in the past uh, it's all been done through print media uh, letter writing and we clearly were always behind the eight ball now it's in real time we can sense what you're up against and you can sense what we're up against and yeah let's explore that a little further but a little bit of background you told us pre-interview was um, you didn't come from uh, well, farmer's daughter, but you didn't do farming for a fair chunk of your life. I'm a farmer's daughter originally, and I suppose like a lot of, of, of people in rural Ireland, I went to college. I studied as a graphic designer and a printer. I had a business for 26 years, and I suppose the insurance industry sent me home because of the costs. Um, I'd always be home at the weekend and I would have done work with my dad and my mom and my uncle and it was it was cattle, it was sheep, it was mixed farming, it was doing the vegetables, it was baling the hay, it was all of that sort of stuff. So the background is very solid, the background is there and the passion is there that I'm now back doing what I love the most. I have peace, I have harmony, I can walk out and I'm in nature and that's very, very important for peace of mind for me anyhow. Yeah, well, that's great. Just explain for, for our listeners where County Galway is. And, you know, clearly it's not a Northern Ireland, is it? Uh, it's in Ireland. County, County Galway is, is one of our counties on the west coast of Ireland. It would be sort of in the range of 336 hectares size-wise. It is a beautiful, very scenic. I'm sure your listeners would have often heard that are, that will be visiting would have often heard about Connemara. Um, we have our stone walls, we have our hedges, we have our green land, we have our diversity of animals, our water courses, our lakes. It's a beautiful part of the country. Indeed, Ireland as a whole is a beautiful part of the country. But we have a particular passion and, and love for the west of Ireland and our, yeah. our heritage and our Cayley music and our food and all of that. And just as an aside, because I've got a bad vice, it's called racehorses. Is there any horse racing in County Galway? Uh, you have the, the Galway races that's held in Ballybrit every year. And you have quite a lot of um, show jumping. We, we have a good breeding regime and good equine system in Ireland through our show jumpers, our Irish draft, and particularly as well our, our Connemara ponies, which are, are all bred. A lot of breeding goes abroad. Um, I think a lot goes to actually in Australia and goes to Europe. So, so yeah, the horses, the horses are very important in Ireland as well, both from a, a racing perspective and a show jumping and breeding perspective. And the the reason I asked that, and I did know that, um, because some of the names you've just mentioned, like Bally Britton, Connemara, and things like that, have horse. They're the names of horses that have raced in New Zealand. So, look, there's a bit of history, uh, listeners. Uh, I know something that others might not in terms of horses, but hey. Um, yeah, so so the size of the farms in your region, I, I detect, just again, talking to you pre this interview, um, they're quite small, but but that's uh, under threat. 
as I understand it. You know, the 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 game in town seems to be to squeeze put the squeeze on you with a whole lot of rules and regulations and maybe there will be uh bigger players come to town and take you out. Is that it? Is that how you see it? I, I suppose Don, you know, the the we're all talking about family farms and you know the definition of a family farm and the size of a family farm to us in the west of Ireland and indeed all of the west coast which would be would be the smaller uh, uh farm sizes you could be talking from something from 60 up to 120 up to 180 it depends really on on the type of land that you have it, it does vary but um for example, and I will explain it very simply, we have County Galway, as I said to you, has circa in around 336 hectares, 336,000 hectares, whereas County Cork, uh, which would be classed as the Golden Vale area of, of the south, uh, is circa 530,000 hectares. So those would be, that county would be mainly dairy, mainly tillage. So the scenario there is the comparison is very, very different. Now, in relation to the rules and regulations, yes, there there is a severity of what is happening in relation to the rules and regulations that's coming on relation to the climate agenda, which we believe are very, very strong and very, very stringent towards uh, the Irish farming system. And in particular, the small farmer, the suckler farmer, the mixed farmer, we say sheep and cattle, um, we believe that we are being heavily, heavily penalised. Now, I suppose for your listeners, what well, we've got to be very clear about, Irish farmers have no problem in meeting certain uh, climate agendas, but we feel that we are overpowered uh, in meeting climate. And at the end of the day, Irish farmers, we are the protectors of nature, just like you guys are in New Zealand, in, in, in any other part of the world. We know our land. We, I mean, I could not go out to New Zealand or to Australia and say, yeah, I can identify with that or, or whatever. We are the protectors of our land. And we actually face a situation in Ireland where our land may be taken off us. And we believe that, honestly. And to try and inform farmers and people of rural Ireland who may not be user-friendly towards uh, social media, they may not have a situation where they have a Wi-Fi or a broadband service in their area because they are in a rural position. And I suppose we see that, and, and we might come back to later on, in the whole digitalization and, and the cashless society proposals that's coming up from, from the, the big boys in, uh, abroad. But that's really where we're at. It's to protect where we're at to look after our animals, to be able to do it in a sustainable way, but not to be doing it in, in a bullyish way. And that's what's actually happening to Ireland and to actually hold on to what we actually have. Jackie, right. could you let us know about what other farming organizations are there, lobby, lobby organizations? Because you guys, your organization, the Irish Rural Association, was formed in 2021. Why did why a need for that? Were there not lobby organizations doing their job there? Okay, I suppose we can we can develop that a little bit more. In 2019, there was um there was a beef protest here in Ireland because we believed that farmers got together and they, they started protests outside the beef factories because we were not getting uh, value prices for our stock. We were not getting what's called the fifth quarter, which is basically all the, the other bits of the animal, which is not used. Farmers were getting paid for that. There was a lot of regulations in, in relation to ages and all of that sort of stuff. So we still, and, and I mean, at that point, <coughs> excuse me, at that point, farmers really did get together and farmers were united. Mm. For the first time in a long, long time, and they believed that uh, that, that organization that, that was set up at that point was actually going to do something and make something and, and move things forward and actually rock the boat. And it actually did rock the boat and farmers got behind it. But one thing or another, it just didn't work out. And, you know, a lot of a lot of fractions and a lot of breakups and a lot of everything sort of came from that uh, for us ourselves. For me personally, well, I've been involved in volunteer work in uh, over 40 years in, in a youth section and youth service. And I suppose I would have gained experience there in relation to policy procedure, in relation to PR marketing and all of that sort of stuff. So a few of us got together and we decided, look, 
there is a certain area here where we're not being represented and where the smaller people uh, and I mean, I don't mean that in an insulting fashion, but I mean this, the, the grassroots, the small people with small areas, smaller cities, smaller towns, smaller villages, rural Ireland. We're not hearing the message. We're not getting the information and we're not getting the factual information, which is more important. And these people would, might listen to the national station and hear, oh, well, the Minister for Environment is coming out today and is saying there's only going to be one car per village or 30 cars per village and that you're going to have the car share and all of this sort of stuff. So from that, we, we actually sat down and decided, look, we need to do something. We need to prove to the people and we need to get people back involved, get back in, interested, get the trust of farmers, get the trust of people in rural Ireland. And our work not only covers the whole farming side of things, but we cover rural issues. We've covered the tarp cutting, which is a very, very big issue. We deal with road infrastructures. We deal with with water issues. We deal with a, quite a lot of stuff. Um, you know, um, farm abuse, the whole suicide agenda. There's an awful lot of stuff. So we felt the need was there for that. And that is why we said we're setting up as a voluntary nonprofit organization. We are not aligned to any political parties. We are not aligned to any farming organizations. But to answer your question, Don, into as to what is there. So we have the main organization, which is called the Irish Farming Farm Association. And there is 72K uh, membership there in, in, in that organization. Uh, we have the ICMSA, which is the Irish Cream and, and Milk. They basically deal with da the dairy sector. We have the ICMSA, which is a smaller uh, farm organization. They would deal with a lot of the, the, the sucklers, the sheep, the smaller, the smaller side of things in relation to, again, we would, we would sort of align, I won't say align, but we would sort of identify the same issues that they would be dealing with. And then you have the hill farmers, which would be dealing with the likes of um, the, the mountains, the grazing in the mountains, the, the breeds of sheep that are in the mountain areas. And, and that sort of stuff. And then you have Mokrana Firma, which is basically a, an organization that deals with the young farmers. And Mokrana Firma would be sort of aligned in, in the sense of, of, of um, working and in conjunction with the, the IFA. But the main farming organizations, and I will be critical of them to a certain degree because I am at the moment in, on behalf of Irish Rural Association, is... It's too little too late in what they're actually doing here in Ireland this week, whereby the, the, the whole derogation um, debate that is going on is it's only now that they are out and protesting. And the amount of people that turned up at the Department of Agriculture during the week uh, in comparison to their 72K membership, they should be able to absolutely close down Dublin. But the feeling is in Ireland, farmers have lost uh they've lost the belief in the Irish Farming Association and they believe that they're not speaking on their behalf anymore. The IFA have everything that is needed to be a very, very strong and vocal organisation. They have the research, they have the government's ear, but it's not happening. And uh, There's a certain amount of stuff happening, that's fine, but the feelings of the ordinary farmer on the ground is not getting through. And, and that is the big problem. And I suppose that is where we're keeping the, the pressure on the likes of these organisations and getting into doll airing and getting the, the parliamentary questions asked and getting into doll airing and getting to what's called the Joint Committee for Agriculture and getting in, in stuff and questions there, which is what we're doing. And mm. for a young voluntary group um, to actually have that done within a year and a half it's very, very important. And it tells us that we're actually doing something and we're doing it right. And we're basically driven by social media uh, from a point of view of people that can get us on, on our Facebook account, can get us on WhatsApps and can, can meet and greet us as we trip around the country. <clears throat> and that's what we do. Several people will make contact us with that. But the whole farm organization in Ireland, we believe, uh, we have called for unity. For example, let's just take the, the climate agenda. Last February, we, we had a meeting with um, the Rural Independent Group in, in Dáil Ireland, which is a group of 
independent TDs. Now, there's three groupings in the doll, but we met, we met this one on the day. And we brought our, our package and our concerns to them. And these people drive the agenda of, of, of our concerns as well as what they're getting from their, their own constituencies. <clears throat> and we also have an independent TD called Michael Fitzmaurice. He's based in Galway, Roscommon constituency. And I would suggest that you actually Google uh, Deputy Michael Fitzmaurice because he is a man that, that has been able to really be a driving force in Dáil Éireann for rural Ireland and for the farming community. And this is what we need more of within Dáil Éireann is more rural TDs. <clears throat> Excuse me. We need more rural TDs to actually drive our cause. And this is what's happening at the moment in, in the sense of they're trying to, to, to launch and set up a new farmers party. They're trying to set up and, and organize more rural TDs happening in, in different strands. So, so there's a lot of um, groundwork going on at the moment in relation to all of that. And that is what's needed because these rural TDs do need to be rural and they do need to be, as I would call them, real, real TDs uh, in the sense of not party aligned. Because we see some of them that may be party aligned when it comes to a government vote, they will vote with the government. Yeah, and that's the biggest that's the biggest problem, guys. We actually see when it comes to comes to our our TDs and, and, and public representatives in Ireland is that I could go to a TD's clinic on a Friday morning and I could say uh, TD such and such. I have an issue in relation to a scheme, or I have an issue in relation to rewetting, or an issue in relation to a climate agenda. And that TD will say to me, I'll leave it with me now, Jackie, and we'll we'll try and sort that for you, and we'll do A, B, or C. But this TD will go back up to Dublin, and if there's a piece of legislation being brought forward, which we have seen recently in relation to the whole rewetting agenda, um, that TD will vote with government. So, in essence, the question we have to ask is, is that rural TD, that rural party TD, is that rural TD representing me as a member of their constituent? When they go back up to Dublin and vote with the party whip. And this is one of the big issues that we have in Ireland. Coming right. from coming from the farming organisations, so we have the farming organisations there, a lot to do and a lot more to be done. But what we also are seeing in the last number of years, and I think it was, you hit me with a question as well, is, I don't know if you have them in, in New Zealand, but it's, it's NGOs, non-government organisations. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, so, yeah. We have lots of public-private partnerships out here, everything, and they seem to just completely take over what should be an elected member's role. But, Jackie, you've used this word rewetting. And for Kiwi listeners, would you expand on it? Because I know you've used rewetting many times, and each time you've spoken about it, you've said that this is how they'll drive us off our land. So could you explain rewetting? I, I will, with, with your permission, go back a little step further and go back to February 2022 when, when we actually started. When mm. the Minister for Environment uh, came out and came up with the idea that he was going to try and stop the people of Ireland from cutting their, their turf on their box. Now, that is something that has happened in Ireland since Adam was a boy. And it's a means and it's, it's, a, it's a financially viable means to heat our homes to burn in our ranges, to burn in our open fires. But yet this minister has decided that, uh, oh, it's a public health issue, it's a climate issue, people are dying from uh, <laughs> from burning turf. And, of course, this is coming from an EPA report. And what the minister has neglected to say is basically that the EPA were talking about um, what was going on in the, in the city of Dublin. <coughs> so... Sorry. So going back to the minister and the EPA, is there they are pushing this thing that now only people that own bogs can actually cut their turf. It's called turbary rights. But what we're saying is it's our right, it's our private property, it's our land. And we have various turf cutting groups uh, that have come together and have protested and have fought for the right to cut their turf in Ireland because there is no other sustainable affordable means of heating in this country. Now, following from that, and again, I suppose part of the country that would be affected would be all of the west coast of Ireland, the Midlands, 
And if, if you want to take it from the top of the West Coast right down to the bottom of the West Coast would be affected by what's called rewetting. Now, rewetting is part of this whole climate agenda whereby everybody wants to go back to nature. And as I've already said, you know, we as farmers and we as people from the west of Ireland and the west coast of Ireland and the Midlands that have any type of peaty land, we know our land. We can actually see the wildlife in our land. We can actually see the flora and fauna in our land. But what they want us to do is actually let the drains that are there overflow to a certain degree or a certain percentage height, thus flooding our lands. And the insulting part about it is they want us to be rewarded for doing this. Now, first and foremost, we also had a thing going back a few years called a set-aside, whereby a portion of your, your borders of your, your meadows, you sowed your wildflowers, you, you left it there for the, the, the wildlife, which is fine. Farmers were complying with that. But this whole rewetting issue is, is a hot potato. And again, I spoke of, of the, the, the independent TDs and the 9th of July, a meeting was held in, in County Galway and it was run by, by again, three independent TDs of a group, uh, Deputy Fitzmaurice, Deputy, Deputy um, Harkin and Deputy McNamara. And it was to invite all of our MEPs to discuss the whole rewetting issue mm. and how it was going to affect uh, our people in rural Ireland and the pressures that we were put in. And this, I suppose, Don links into where you're saying about people coming in and taking over. So there's one very big question and nobody has come back with an answer to us yet. So let's just say a farmer has 80 acres. Let's just say out of that 80 acres, that's 70, 60 or 70 percent of that farm is peaty soil. And that man has suckler cows, beef, and sheep. What happens to that farmer? Where does he go? Where does his children go? That farmer is going to be put out of his livelihood. Now, the next little thing here in relation to that is, is that against our constitution? We are entitled to make a livelihood. We don't want to be paid to, to actually make a livelihood. We want to actually work our farms, work our land, while accepting we can actually meet certain climate criteria but not have it rammed down our throats like what is happening now. And that is very, very clear. And people in power will not like me for saying that, but that is the fact. And this has been approved by a vote in the EU recently. And that's despite only one MEP turned up to that meeting. So that again shows you where our MEPs are feeling and what they're talking and feeling about the people of Ireland, the people that voted them. So with European elections coming up in 2024, it's going to be very interesting to say the least. But there's only 13 MEPs representing Ireland. There's over, I think it's over 700 MEPs altogether. In the EU so, Parliament, yeah. so there's a lot of there's a lot of people beginning to ask questions, you know, going on to Brexit, going on to why did the EU, why did England leave? Do you know why with only 13 people, what power has Ireland there? What clout have we there? But yet, why is Ireland being used as a scapegoat or a guinea pig to get all of these climate items pushed through? And that's what we believe here in Ireland. Our government has sold us out. Our farm organisations, to a certain degree, have sold us out. And that's what we're trying to fight. And that's what we're trying to save. Because if these land, this land is taken off us in this way, bit by bit by bit, that's where the conglomerates will come in. That's where... The vulture funds will come in. That's where all of these people will come in and take over our land. But so, so just a, a side issue here. Um, going back to these farmer organisations, are any or all of them funded by compulsory levy or do they get money from the state as well? Uh, you talked about NGOs. I mean, some of them are getting taxpayer money. Uh, is any, are any of them being funded by, for instance, your your, your county, uh, taxes or even out of the EU, do they get some uh, some benefits from there to run those organisations? Now, Don, that's a very silly question. The answer to that is, and I'll start with the NGOs, uh, there's over, there is over 3,000 plus NGOs in Ireland. Whoa. Out of that, there is over 40 environmental 
NGOs. And at this point in time, it is my opinion, as the spokesperson for Irish Rural Association, that these environmental NGOs are the people that is driving the climate agenda within our government and is pushing aside our farm organisations. That is the opinion that we're seeing. We're seeing it by action. We're seeing it by the way our Minister for Environment, Eamon Ryan, is behaving. And we're seeing that the two leaders, Michal Martin and Tishuk Leo Varadkar, are complying with this and their government are complying with this. The Greens, which are led by Eamon Ryan and have 12 TDs in Dal Erden, this is the driving force of the Green Agenda. And nobody has got the you-know-whats to actually uh -huh. stand up and say, stop. In relation to the NGOs and the funding, there is over $6 billion of taxpayers' money going to these NGOs. In relation to the farm organizations, yes, they would get funds through membership and a little bit now. Again, like I said, the smaller ones are not really getting any funding. They're relying on membership. So they are they are struggling. They may have people in offices. They may have an office to run. So so no, they're not getting a whole lot. They're they're if they're if they're getting anything at all indeed. But the main ones, yes, they are. They have they have their membership, and there, there's also there's also, of course, there is. Yeah. So, so there is so a levy on uh, per kilogram of meat or milk or something like that as well, funding those organisations. The, the main the main farming organisation, and I suppose the IFA, and for 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 a long long time when we'd be getting our March check, uh, you would always see. The lab, you go down. You go down the list of your 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 invoice or your sales sheet, and you would see a little thing here: uh, X amount going to the IFA. And I remember here when I took over from my dad, I seen this, and you know, uh, what's the story here like? I mean, we're not members of the IFA. Why the hell is somebody getting money that they're not entitled to? And I said, no, take that off. So, and that's what we're doing, and and that's what a lot of farmers are beginning to do that that don't want. Uh, a levy like this going to the IFA, and it is the IFA only that that you see that in on on our March sheets. You don't see it going anywhere else. <clears throat> and the same organisation. And yes, I am again being critical because yes, this will be going out uh, on our page when when we have the podcast. Um, yes, I am critical because they have they have um, the finger in a lot of pies where there 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 is monies coming in, um, and stuff like that. And it's it's there, it's visible, uh, and it's just. It's not acceptable anymore. They're, they've got too big of an organization in the sense of representing the ordinary people of this country. And that's why farmers feel absolutely rejected, dejected. But yet a lot of the farmers have gone back, gone back to them. We have, I suppose you have Chagas, which would be the advisory group to the government and to the IFA in relation to, to doing the figures and doing the sums as to grassland management, as to all the scientific sides of things. And they're linked in with the IFA as well. So there's a there's a link in there. You have MII, which is Meat Industry Ireland. You have Borbia, which is mm, that's a whole different subject uh, in the sense of what's what's happening with Borbia and the labeling systems and what's happening at imports. And just previous to the summer holidays, they, they were actually in, in front of the Giant Committee for Agriculture. We have several questions. Uh, in relation to the workings of Borbea and how things are packaged and how things are stamped. Um, and when um, a, a, a meat product comes into this country via import, whether it's a live animal or whether it's a carcass animal, and when it goes into a factory setup, what actually does it come out as? Does uh, does it come out as the product of, for argument's sake, New Zealand or, or or Australia or any other European country, or does it come out with a, a board B a stamp, which uh, we have a lot of questions about, and we're seeking a lot of clarity on that at the moment, and that is going back to the 2019 protests. So there's a lot of questions that have to be answered. There's a lot of challenges that have to be made to this. What we call them is the cozy cartel, and and that's what's happening. They've been too comfortable for years. Uh, if we're being compliant, then they actually need to to uh, wake up, smell the coffee and say, we're not taking this line down anymore. We cannot take it line down anymore because farmers are going to the wall. And, you know, that's the hard cold fact. And the first farmers that will be going to the wall will be the smaller ones, will be the West of Ireland ones, will be the Western Seaboard ones, will be all of those that that, that are feeling all of these 
rules and regulations, particularly in relation to to the climate. I mean, at the moment, we see because of, of the derogation and, and the fertilizer issue, we see the dairy industry um, now feeling the pinch as to what's going to happen if, if this derogation goes through with the figures that's there at the moment. Um, but yet, um, there's a big rah-rah about that now, and it's a big thing. And because it's the dairy industry and they're the biggest industry in, in Ireland, um, we see a big, a big push to to change those figures, but it's fact. It's what's happening. Every strand of farming in Ireland has been been attacked. Yep. So, can we just um, explain what the word derogation means? I mean, I've just looked up what it means on uh, Google, and um, maybe you've got a, an easier way of translating it because it's not a word we use in New Zealand, but uh, it's so it's unique to us. It is. I, I suppose the the whole derogation area. It's it's again. It's going back to to climate. It's going back to the use of fertilizers and the production of grasses, and particularly to the dairy industry. Um, if you have from a hundred cows up to twelve hundred cows, whatever the highest cow rate in, is in this country, you're naturally uh, going to have to to use fertilizers. And this is part and parcel of of the the climate agenda. Is that this this is cut, and it's it's impeding on the workings of the dairy industry, where they're now only going to be allowed to use a certain percentage of the fertilizers. There's now liquid fertilizers. There's 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 a whole lot of scientific stuff being done. So this again is going back out to the to the EU where these regulations are being putting down. And as a result of these regulations, for the dairy farmers to meet the derogation figures, it, the possibility that they will have to face is cut back on their numbers of, of dairy herd cows or rent out more land. Mm. So there's catches there's catches everywhere in relation to whatever climate agenda that that we have to meet no matter in what section of agriculture in Ireland whether it's the dairy whether it's the beef whether it's the sheep and I mean we look at at this present climate in Ireland at the moment during the summer and indeed during early spring summer when when for example the price of lamb and sheep it should be at top rate but the price of lamb this year has been absolutely very very bad um and again, it's going back. The, the, the reasons that it's been used in relation to prices is because that it's now a commodity that is not wanted or that uh, the housewife may not want to have uh, a bigger chop, pay for a bigger chop, or that the market abroad is not there for the product. Uh, sorry, lame duck excuse. Um in actual fact, what's actually happening, and we know it from time to time, and we can actually we can actually track it. But again, it's there's a bit of work to be carried out on that all the time, which it will be for anybody that's watching this or listening to this uh, later on. Um, the imports, the imports that's coming into Ireland of lamb, which again will trace back to the 2019 protests, whereby lamb was coming in. Um, live and lamb was coming in in carcass form and it was coming in from the UK and Scotland and that's still what's happening and it's coming in through Northern Ireland that lorry loads of lamb come into Ireland and it drives down the prices of our Irish lamb and these lambs that's been imported is going into our factories and are being processed so you have factory agents uh, coming to our marts and the majority of lambs are sold uh, at your local uh, livestock mart. And every week you'll hear a cut, a cut, and they're being dictated by the by the by the by the processors, which are the factories. And this is a huge issue here in Ireland. Why are the processors, the factories, been allowed to dictate the pace of our stock every week? And that's what's happening. It's because we believe that. In that week, or prior to that week, their 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 uh, their quota of 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 lamb has is reached. So therefore, what we we'll do, lads, is we'll reduce the price and we'll tell them, yeah, well, that's going to be the price this this week, and farmers will have to sell. Now, in relation to our our beef, which we are in Ireland uh, recognised all over the world for our quality beef. And for quality breeds, and we do have some of the finest stock, the finest breeders in the world in Ireland. And we're all—that's one thing we're very, very proud of in Ireland—is is the quality of our our commodities and our goods straight across the board. 
Um, but what we're seeing is, is the same thing there, is, is you have feedlots in Ireland and every so often the feedlots have to fill up or if the feedlots are filled, then you'll see a, a lowering of prices. And again, it's the processors and factories that are driving the the pricing on prices. that. And of course, I, I don't think anybody in the world has not heard of Mr. Larry Goodman and his his uh, beef companies, um, you know, ABP and, and what he has done and set up all throughout the world in relation to companies and into Ireland. And again, you know, complacency, comfort, all of that is there that nobody actually challenges any of this. And Irish Rural Association has, in the last couple of months, called for a full investigation into our processing industry and hopefully that that would encompass Meat Industry Ireland, which is, is their factories uh, involved, Board Bia, because it's time that we actually had a good hard look at why this is happening, why the factories actually can dictate pace like this. We don't accept the excuses and the figures that are being given to us because common sense prevails from people that are that are standing on the ground and looking at, at what's happening. We're being told like lies and we're being just it's not it's not happening. Farmers are entitled to be paid a prime price for their prime product. Isn't it amazing, Don, how much when we listen to Jackie, I just find myself agreeing. This is exactly what's happened. You just said, Jack, Jackie, that, you know, you're proud of what you produce. The same thing here. It's, it's I think, our uh, quality of our politicians and our so-called representatives that needs leaves a lot to be desired. Incidentally, listeners, in case you're wondering, uh, Jackie uses the word TD often. And Jackie, TD is your, uh, I think, equivalent to our MP, Member of Parliament of your lower house. Okay. Correct. And in the Irish essence, it's called Chakta Dala, TD. It's our public representative that sits in national parliament. Right. Now, one TD of yours, Minister Ryan or Mr. Imon Ryan, who is <clears throat> a contributor to the World Economic Forum agenda on their pages. He, I think it was late last year when he, or was it uh, 2021? I forget these COVID years have been so crazy. They've all sort of blurred into one. He spoke how he would actually prefer a one world dictatorship. And this man, he is your minister of, for communications, energy, natural resources, head of your Irish Green Party, doing all these climate negotiations. What did he mean? What does he want? A one world dictatorship? Well, you see, that actually goes back to a 2019 um, interview and we actually found it and we put it up on our page. And it's extremely worrying when you hear uh, one of the three leaders of our national parliament coming out and say, if I had my way and there was a one world and you're there and you stop and you think about what exactly does he mean in that sense? And what he means in that sense is, I guess it's to, as I said to you, is to promote all of these European issues, in, in, in put Ireland out there as the good goody two shoes of Europe by pressurizing all of the people. I've already mentioned Minister Ryan's um, ethos and feelings in relation to the turf. I've already said about a lot of the things that that is happening and the pressures that have been put on Ireland. But what Minister Ryan is not addressing, for example, is we have what's we have several cement factories in this country. And in, in those cement factories, there is over a million tires been burnt in those hmm. cement factories a year. Now, that's the same air pollution and same air that you and I and everybody else in Ireland is breathing in. We are now looking at in relation to the peat factories. He has closed all of those facilities. But now we see a facility opening up in Shannon Bridge, County Offaly, and it has to be fueled and driven by diesel. So while the other factory was fueled by turf. So again, you know, we're questioning all of these uh, ridiculous uh, decisions and why those decisions are being made. They're argumentative. We're questioning the whole area in relation to the electric cars uh, and that whole scenario. And I know when when I was doing uh, one of the, the um, national radio programs, I traveled up by public transport. And I actually challenged him on that night. 
Take care of your own turf. Look at Dublin City. Sort out the situation in Dublin City before you actually attack rural Ireland. Minister Ryan, mm, a lot of people think that he's a very silly man. Mm, I wouldn't pass him as silly, but I think the people that are around him, and he has an awful lot of advisors around him, uh, I think he's a very dangerous man for rural Ireland. He is a very dangerous man in his own personal thinking and his own personal agenda. And it is my personal opinion that's what he's pushing. We have Artishik and Artanishta, Michal Martin and Leo Varadkar, who are not in any way stopping him because they, they are in government. They don't want to go out of government. In essence, uh, in our opinion, this country is being ran by 12 TDs because they're pushing the green agenda and nobody is standing up to them. And that is the feeling of the Irish people that we are talking to, communicating with or whatever, whether it's agriculture, whether it's the, the agri-food sector, whether it's forestry, whether it's seafords. We look at what's happening to our fishing industry at the moment. It's absolutely cruel to be, to be watching boats on Irish waters going away to be destroyed. And, and that is what's happening in our Irish waters. And if you Google, if you Google, there, there is a, a good man there, uh, Patrick Murphy. He is the, the Southwestern, the, he deals with all of the fishing issues there in the Southwest. And he has been fighting uh, the whole issue in relation to what's happening in Ireland fishing wise. And it's sad to see boats driving into port, the finest of, of, of trawlers and boats for fishing in this country being destroyed. And what we're conscious of now is that same thing is going to happen to our, our, our agricultural industry. But Eamon Ryan is no friend of rural Ireland. Eamon Ryan is no friend of agriculture in Ireland. That's my personal opinion and that's my organisational opinion. And it's the feelings of many, many people in this country. And all one has to do is, is, is watch the pages. You know, when you hear somebody standing up in our national parliament and telling us that, oh, yeah, well, everything is OK if you go out to your south facing side of the house and, and plant your window box full of lettuce. You know, it's it's nonsensical stuff that's coming out of his, his mouth. But he has this one world agenda. He has made that statement. And that is what he's pushing. And the people that are suffering are the people of rural Ireland and particularly uh, the members of, of the farming community and, and agriculture in general on, across all the board. So just a, a, getting a bit of context around um, the, the recent few minutes of, of discussion uh, around the local production uh, being uh, caught up in and mixed in with um, with stuff coming across the border from Northern Ireland, what is if 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 Ireland itself uh, was to consume all its food, what would it have to export? Is it a uh, seriously um, net exporter of food, or is it uh, self sufficient? Uh, just self sufficient? What is it? I'm I'm trying to get a handle on what is the mix because I think your accusation really was stuff coming across the border. It's there's price fixing going on, there's manipulation in the market going on. But you know, to probably get a handle on it, I need to understand what is the local consumption of the local food. Okay, I, I suppose in in relation to to exports, Don, what I could say to you is there's around um, fifteen and a half billion worth of of agri food exports. There, that sector would cause cause for about nine and a half percent of of total goods exports, um, that would also culminate about one hundred and eighty different type of of markets. In dairy, we're exporting about five point billion in in exports, and that would include butter and and cheese. That would uh, would go over the the one billion mark. Beef alone is two point four. In exports, and that's the eighth largest export exporter of boneless beef in the world. Tillage, uh, cereals, beverages, one point eight billion. That's a twenty percent increase. You know, and we have seaford seaford exports exports as well. But the sad point about it is, at this point in time, it is our opinion that Ireland is not food secure because what we're actually doing is importing, importing, importing. And let's just say, hypothetically, if anything was to happen tomorrow morning in the world, Ireland at this point in time has three days food in stock in, in that can be held in, in warehouses and the retail industry and distribution like that. 
Ireland is not food secure. And while a lot of people have gone back through the COVID period and started their own little gardens and planting and all of the rest of it, that is great for the mind. It's great for the body. It's great for your health because you're producing something that is done by your own hand. It's healthy. You know what's gone into it. Whereas food imports, we're looking at, for example, carrots, maybe 49 cent. You cannot compare that import to actually producing carrots, producing the humble potato and, and trying to match those import prices. Plus the import of food we're looking at uh, on social media, in the national media, in all news media, we're looking at meats being injected with stuff. We're looking at foods being sprayed with stuff. We're looking at, we're having the whole concern of, of, of Brazilian beef coming into our country, which is not regulated. Uh, Ireland is one of the most highly regulated uh, countries in Europe in relation to our foodstuffs. But we are not food secure. And that is a very, very concerning issue for, for our Assurance Association. And it's an issue moving forward that we will be as this agenda goes on in relation to climate. Um, and naturally enough, there are people out there in, in, in the farming world because they have never um, dealt with or learned how to sow foodstuffs. There's, there, there's areas, again, like I said to you about Cork and Galway, there's areas of the country that would be specifically re related towards uh, the whole horticulture side of things. And that would be more so up in the east of the country, in the Dublin, Meath area, all around there where there is very, very good land specifically for that purposes. But if you go to the Midlands or any other part, that you're 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 just talking about people and their back gardens and a smaller indigenous industry and and farm markets and I think farm markets is something that's going to actually uh, grow more in relation to what's actually happening to our food industry. So that's the bigger picture. We are not food secure in our opinion in 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 Ireland. That's that's a very worrying and concerning factor. Gosh, and yet they have this whole report of, you know, uh, sustainable agriculture in Ireland, a 2030 roadmap to sustainable food futures, all of this going on. It uh, often makes me think, you know, they're first destroying the very, very sector that they're virtue signaling towards. And for what? I guess like yours, you are certainly not missing your words, Jackie. There comes a time when one has to stop looking for a reason in treason. They are yes. doing this on purpose yes that that is that is that is our belief that is our knowledge that's what we're seeing from from reading reports and that's really all they are is is these reports they look lovely because it, it ensures that hmm. ireland is getting is ireland ireland is getting funds that they they're they're sending to the eu and it looks lovely at eu level and all of this sort of stuff but break that down to the steps of the stairs to the ordinary tom and Mary on, on the farm that are there trying to make a living, trying to, to actually exist and trying to do all of that without the pressures and the strains. And I mean, as, as we've said pre, pre interview, and um, we're dealing with a very serious issue at the moment in relation to all farm and mental health and well-being. And sadly, sadly, the numbers of suicides that are farm related and coming from rural Ireland, it's very, very sad. It's very, very concerning. And and this is what's actually happening. People cannot actually deal with the pressures and and the strains that they have at the moment. I mean, for for me, I I I don't mind talking to people. I will talk until the cows come home. But what you see is what you get. I I don't mince my words. I never have, no matter what part of my life I'm in. I call a spade a spade. And if people ring me during the day, during the night time for a chat to say, you know, and it has happened. You know, and say, geez, Jackie, look, I'm I'm under such strain here. I don't know what I should do with A, B, or C. How can I get around it? It's a serious, serious issue, the pressures that are being put on the people of rural Ireland and our farming community. You know, and we have to try and do something to help that and alleviate that. But people have to also take responsibility themselves, cut their plot to their means, and stand up with us, beside us, or support us, because we will drive that agenda. Excellent. That is good to hear. And I'm so glad someone there has you in their corner because Dawn knows we have struggled here and we've had, 
you know, bodies that take our compulsory levies from our commodities, be it milk from our farm or meat from someone else, they get a direct levy, I mean, whether we like it or not. But all they do is side with the government. Yeah. All they do is side with the government. And Don yes. was heading it, uh, you know, this was not a levy-funded organization, but Don, what is what what would you like to add here? I think he's having a slight problem connecting here. But it it is really sad. We've in the last two years, especially, what we've seen out here, the number of rural suicides out here are not ending. We don't seem to see the next generation, the younger generation, come into farming. I mean, we have we call farmer meetings and so on. And I look into a sea of white-haired people. The younger generation is just sort of given up there. Yeah, uh, that that would be right. The demographic is of an an older age group here, and uh, the younger generation, a little bit of an improvement. Uh, the females, there's more women now getting involved in farming in Ireland, and mm. um, but we would like to see a lot more. But I think technology is is what's going to help uh, the younger generations because that's what they're um, zooming in on. But in, in relation to that, I suppose the whole area of digitalization is the next concern um, because we're now facing this so-called cashless society. Now, Irish Rural Association, again, has, has taken a, an extreme lead role in relation to this because we believe, number one, cash is still a legal tender in our country and law mm. has to be to do that number two uh, you know if you offer a facility or a service your cash they actually have to take it um, and the, we have what's called a national plowing championship here in ireland and they they said decided oh, yeah we're, we're we're going to um you know you have to book your tickets and you have to pre-book and you have to all of that sort of stuff neglecting the fact that the people of Ireland and, and the farming community in rural Ireland and indeed a certain section of urban Ireland were the ones that have supported them down through the years. And it got quite hot and heavy for a period of time. And we've had, um, you know, a local council in Cork that decided, you know, that they were going to write to them and, you know, request that this change. This came on our table. We said, yes, we will support that. Um and and they had to claw back to a certain degree and and allow a cash system. But what they've done now, which is absolutely, in my opinion, completely illegal, is it was twenty five euros to actually book your ticket and get into the facility. Mm. And they're using health and safety on this. But now all of a sudden, if you're paying cash, you have to pay thirty euros. So oh. what does that mean? Does that mean we're actually paying for the bank facilities to collect the cash, just like what's called our NCT, which is which is um which is the service that is for, for, for checking out our cars and our vehicles and our DVOs, uh, they have tried to say that they're going cashless. Um, that has um, gone against them as well. There has to be a system whereby you are allowed to use your cash. And Absolutely. I mean, there's generations. There's generations out there that's not going to be able to use. And I, I don't have a credit card or any type of a card. And frankly, I don't want to because I want to be in control of my cash payments, my in, my ins and my outs. I know exactly what I'm paying. But yes, the famous electric picnic, it was all tap, 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 tap. And everything was 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 uh, was digital. And, and this is a huge concern. And again, it's a diktat coming from uh, Europe, but it's coming from more than Europe, as as we've sort of mildly touched about the Bindenberg meetings and what yep. that agenda is there. And, you know, while we don't want to be classed as, um, you know, conspiracy theorists, we don't want to be pigeonholed as a lefty or a righty, we're not. We're just people that's beginning to find out this information and see what's going on behind the scenes in other worlds and in places where all of these people get together and speak on our behalf and work on our behalf. We didn't make a decision on the likes of going digital or a cashless society, and, and we should. There, there's decisions being made at local level, at national level, at European level, but we have no input into this. No, we don't. We seem to have these so-called consultations, but ultimately they seem to be pre-decided outcomes, and somehow <laughs> that is that is what's passed. And most of the time, it is under a guise of health and safety, but it it is all about control. Now, all the only thing we saw here in our rural dailies was about the. 200,000 cowcull that Ireland was talking about. We've seen a few headlines about the Dutch farmers. Uh, Don and I have spoken with the 
one of the MEPs, Teddy Bodei. We speak, spoken with another federation, which is headed uh, by, and I'm forgetting, he's a two IC Jasu Bills. So they seem to be, it's it's a common thread amongst all of us, isn't it? We are all in the same doo-doo together. We are in the same, we are in the same boat together. But sadly, the, the this proposal of, of the call in Ireland has made media all over the world. And we don't seem to see um, other European countries and indeed non-European countries as well. We don't seem to see this quantity or these figures. Now, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I have missed something. I don't know. But it seems to be very, very heavy on a small little country that has to be, you know, it has to be able to fend for itself. We are an island country. We cannot and we should not be able to, to have to be all the time relying on imports. As I've said to you earlier, if push comes to shove and something was to happen, God forbid, tomorrow morning, three days food is all that's there in, in, in the, 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 in the, what you call it, centers, in the retail centers. You know, that's very, very serious. And, you know, taking away something that is there to feed us, is to provide for us, whether it's, it's, the cutting down, the rewetting, the culling of our animals, whatever. You know, I mean, cows farting in the name of God. They've gone to sheep now farting. What's next? <laughs> do you know, it's, it's, what about all the wild animals that fart? What are they going to do with all of them? Are they going to cull all of them? You know, it's nonsensical, but nobody is standing up asking the question and says, stop. Why? Do you know, and, and, and we have to start doing that. We have to start uh, questioning, we have to start the fight back. Yeah, well, certainly it's, um, whether it's burping or farting or peeing, it doesn't matter. Um, it's all about, um, give us the evidence that this is deleterious to anything, uh, rather than just finding a way to, to humor us or, or put us down in front of the, um, urban population, really. And the people in suits, uh, seem to like doing that. Uh, it, it's interesting. Um, I haven't quite got a handle on the, your, your feeling and relationship with the Northern Ireland uh, uh, farming organisations from this interview so far, or the ones that may be in Great Britain, in UK, uh, sorry, in England or Wales or Scotland. Um, what's your connection there? Is there any anything good? The honest answer to that, Don, is at, at this point in time, we, we actually haven't uh, gone near anything um, Northern Ireland, Scotland, or, or uh, the UK. The only one that we would be watching is um, one farmer up in, in the Welsh, uh, and, and he's quite good in that. We haven't gone down that road yet because we've been too busy um, dealing with other issues. Um, but I, I think, I think in relation to to Brexit, um, how they're finding out really. I think it's too early to actually put a handle on that as to what sort of what sort of an outcome that is going to have effect on, on Ireland. We haven't seen any major massive reports on that. I mean, the the you have the the statement coming out by Antishuk that uh, you know it has been disruptive on our island, which it has, but it also puts a situation that that both governments now are speaking on a different level rather than speaking as as EU counterparts. So. Um, to answer your question, no, we haven't gone near. Maybe the next time when we're doing a chat, uh, I'll have spoken to, to someone in Scotland and Wales and the UK and Northern Ireland farm organisations. But at the moment, we just simply haven't the time because of the issues that are that are here in our own country and are, and are in rural Ireland that we have to, to, to basically address. All right. Look, and I'm sorry, listeners, I've had a bit of technology issues on the way through this interview, so I may have missed the answer to this question if Jasper did it but um, or asked it. But the question for me now is, uh, and it might seem a bit a bit blunt, what sort of protections do you get from the EU? What do Irish farmers get from the EU uh, in terms of uh, whether subsidies. it's environmental environmental payments or, or subsidies of any kind? Um. Now you're touching on a very sensitive subject for me. I knew, um, I, I, knew I would be. <laughs> okay, first of all, I suppose I think um, I think farmers, because of all of the subsidies, subsidies and a lot of the subsidies that are EU funded, has led farmers to be reliant on of these subsidies to work their farms, to improve their farms. They know, for example, that X amount is coming in 
at such a time in the year and they go out and they get their bank loans and they might build a new building, whether it's in the dairy industry or whether it's a slatted shed for their sheep or their cattle. Um, the hotbed at the moment is that some of these subsidies, the payments from our own government department this year are been delayed by a month, which is, which is now actually after opening up quite a large can of worms because financially it is going to put farmers into a, a very financial uh, tight situation, which again, there's no specific correct answer for. Um, pers personally, the thought process there is that the farmers now are, are literally brainwashed by all of these schemes. And Don, as you and I and everybody else knows, the golden egg is not going to lay for much longer particularly when we look at, at uh, the cut in, in CAP, particularly when we look at what's down the road, particularly when we look at other European countries that want to come into the EU, naturally Irish funds are going to be cut straight across the board in all in all services, not alone in agriculture. So when it comes to 2025, when it comes to 2027, it's our opinion that, that there will be less money to go around the pot. So farmers, and that's why I keep reiterating, no matter whether I'm talking face-to-face -face or on a media, farmers now need to start to cut their cloth to their means. Mm. Wise words. And look, I, I have an ethos, and it is around uh, maintaining authority over property. And that's what you're trying to do. Uh, you, you're, you're certainly presenting that case. Uh, you know, New Zealand is different. We have zero protection mechanisms in this country. Uh, 1985, we were we were had the apron strings cut off effectively, and we've been cold turkey. Uh, we cold, went cold turkey then, uh, and and we sort of sort of uh, have to compete in this, this world with. Yeah, subsidies and protection mechanisms. But at the end of the day, this is how I see it. Um, you have to uh, maintain authority over your over property for you and your members. And that's what New Zealanders need to have done for them as well. And currently, I think we both have the same issue, which is mm. our organisations that we funded and uh, have thought were doing the right thing by us, perhaps are not. Uh, and in your case, you've certainly put the case that they aren't. So, um, uh, I don't know what we could do next, but I think the, the the last point really should be is then as much as we may have differences, we've got similarities, as I've just alluded to. And we do need to form this sort of global alliance around trying to hold back on, and you talked about the WEF and maybe the UN, doesn't matter what it is, all these unelected people having so much say over us uh, have got to have the stoppers put on them. And I think that's where the Farmers United of the world could make a difference. But at the moment, we're disparate. We're all over the shop and uh, we're not really holding the line. And in fact, I think just listening to you, you have um, many more um, entities in uh, the farmer organisations, like 70,000 odd members by the sound of it. We don't have anywhere near that uh, in the, in the, especially the, uh, primary production side of sheep and beef farming and dairy farming. But uh, we, we have we have that one thing in common, which is uh, uh, we need to stop these people in authority selling us out uh, under the pretense of doing us doing good, under the pretense of doing good. Correct, Don. And I suppose the other issue that we, we are facing here in Ireland is to protect our private property, to protect the ownership of our yes. land, yeah. protect the ownership of our bogs. That That is a big issue. That is going to actually pop up its ugly head. Um, it's not too far away because we, we have, we, we're aware that there is a certain type of a referendum being brought out. But hidden in that referendum and in that wording of the referendum is the whole issue in relation to owning the ownership of your private property, your house, your land, your farm, whatever you actually do own. So that's very, very concerning. So like, like I've said all along, our role as, as a very, very small group of people um, is to get that information out there by whatever possible means we can. And and. You know, once you deal with facts and once you deal with once you have the evidence in your hand and that it's factual and it's correct and that you can get to the people. And that's what we have to try and do, not alone in Ireland, but throughout the world. And as I said, not by being classed as a conspiracy theorist, not yeah. being pigeonholed as, as something on the political left or the political right. We're not. 
we're ordinary people working of the land, of working in our rural areas, indeed working in our urban areas. It doesn't matter. It's 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 something you know. We have to do this. It's not about climate. It's yeah, about and so um, so I actually understand all of that, uh, Jackie. And and in the end, analysis, uh, it is about uh, all of us having to um, put our case and be staunch on issues uh, such as this. Uh, you talked about property rights. I talk about them all the time. I. Let's hope that the Irish, uh, the British, the European Union countries, America, Australia, New Zealand can all get some common sense on this. We None of us are scared of the evolution of, of things, I don't think. We understand the world's uh, an evolving, um, uh, dynamic place, but it is around these overt, extreme controls that are starting to uh, wear us down. And look, Jackie, I... I I just implore you to keep going. Uh, you you put your case with passion, and uh, we need many more Jackies in this world. And I I have to say thanks to social media for giving you giving us you because that's where I found you, and I think that's where Jasprit found you as well. So uh, all part of your arm in the in the weeks and months and years ahead because um, you certainly have got. Um, a way about you that presents a case uh, that people are going to listen to, I think. Thank you, folks. And it's been it's been good speaking to you both. And perhaps maybe when we settle down a little bit more, we'll actually return the favour and have a chat with you guys as to what's happening in your own country and in relation to farming and, and stuff like that. And, you know, that's one way of, of maybe spreading the word and, and getting the feeling out there as to what's happening to us all in our respective countries. But uh, enjoy it. Thanks very much. Thank you, Jaspreet Boparai and Don Nicholson with Greenwash on RCR Reality Check Radio.